in our hearts. If you'll turn with me to 2 Samuel 23, I know they'll have it on the screen as well. 2 Samuel 23, verse number 11. Thank you to everyone for the hospitality. It's been absolutely amazing. 2 Samuel 23, going to read two verses of Scripture, verse 11 and 12, then we'll go to Matthew 13, one verse of Scripture there, verse 44. 2 Samuel 23, verse 11, next to him was Shammah, son of Agi the Arite. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from them. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down. And the Lord, everyone say the Lord. The Lord brought about a great victory. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. With the help of the Holy Ghost this morning, I simply want to preach to you the value of this field. The value of this field. One more time, can we clap our hands and ask God to open our hearts and minds. God, thank you for an opportunity to be in your presence and feel the touch of the Holy Ghost that we feel. Open our eyes to see, our hearts to receive, our minds to comprehend what you want to do in us and through us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. May the Lord richly bless you today. If the last couple of years have taught us anything, it has taught us that God is sovereign, that God is in control, that nothing gets beyond the all-seeing eye of the Almighty. And even though we may be living in an hour of intense pressure, and even though there are many uncertainties of what tomorrow may bring, we also find ourselves in a unique and powerful moment in history, yes, we are facing many different challenges. It's evident all around us. But God has not been surprised by all of this. God is not suddenly just waking up and realizing, oops, I, I, need, to, I need to figure out what to do here. God has always had a plan. God even sees where every single one of us that are here today find ourselves. He sees what we have endured. He sees the long nights and the fight that me, many of us may be in today, those even watching online, but yet he knows the way that we take. There's a very powerful illustration that I want to begin with this morning as we kind of go forward and express the direction I believe that God is wanting us to go together today. It happened during the apex of the Second World War. In fact, this moment was a major turning point in an already brutal conflict. Germany's massive war machine was setting its sights on the United Kingdom and under the direction of their Luftwaffe Air Command, they intended to totally annihilate Britain or at least bring them to a place of surrender. However, what they did not truly take into account was Britain's Royal Air Force. Under the direction of their commander, a man by the name of Hugh Dowding, the Royal Air Force at first appearance did not seem as prepared. They were not as equipped or trained as Germany's Air Force. In fact, Germany's commander believed that the Royal Air Force, he stated this, we will sweep them from the skies in four short days. Now, what is interesting to me is the fact that the Royal Air Force consisted of young, ragtag, not very well-trained pilots who didn't seem to have a whole lot to offer. 
But even though they were fewer in number and even though they had inferior training and even though they lacked the, the technology of the planes that the German pilots employed, the story tells me that Royal Air Force held back Germany's attack and in only a few months' time during the summer of 1940, they turned the tide of the war in what is now known as the Battle of Britain. And while the battle raged and while Hitler sent his air command to destroy Britain, Winston Churchill, in his address to the House of Commons, during the height of the skirmish, stated this, Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. What Hitler was not expecting and more than likely could never have known was the passion and the commitment that these few young, ragtag, undertrained Royal Air Force pilots possessed as they pushed back the onslaught of a much superior air command. It became a major victory for Great Britain, and it also became a major turning point in the war. As we begin to walk down this path today, need I remind you, it has always been and will always be throughout history and even Scripture that God has never required a majority to accomplish his purposes. Amen. The Apostle Paul does his best to expound upon this thought when he begins a discourse concerning the weakness of man versus the power of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 118. Amen. We discover that God chooses the foolish things of this world to confound the mighty. God chooses the base things, the common things, uh, things that are often overlooked and despised uh, in order to bring about his purposes uh, upon this planet. What does Paul do? Paul proves the guarantee of God that we don't always understand or even at times comprehend. We just surrender to the sovereignty of God and realize, God, your thoughts are above my thoughts and your ways are above my ways. Uh, if you want to use a little widow woman, uh, amen, to sustain a prophet, you can use a little widow woman. Uh, God, if you want to take uh, a lunch of just two fish uh, and five loaves, God, that's good enough uh, because God doesn't need a majority. Uh, God doesn't need somebody that has all their ducks in a row. All God needs is someone that'll say, here I am, Lord. Take me, use me, do what you want. If you will spend any time at all in the Word of God, you will quickly discover significant moments with ordinary people who stood up against insurmountable odds and overcame because they chose to stand in the gap and be the man or the woman that God needed during their generation. Hebrews 11 invites us to meander down the hallway of the faithful as we encounter one individual after another that rose to the challenge of their generation and brought about needed victory in spite of what others were doing around them, in spite of what the climate of their culture appeared to be, in spite who was sitting on a throne or who was in control, in spite of what the economic status was. Hear me and hear me well. God has always been very comfortable pulling from the canvas of the common, those insignificant, those insufficient, those unqualified men and women and young people to make a difference in their world. God's never needed. God will never need a majority 
to accomplish his purpose. He has never required the mighty. He's not looking for the brave or the elite to bring about his purposes upon this planet. Our creator is totally content with the common. I'm going to work this over for just a few moments here this morning. Take a moment and examine the life of an insignificant shepherd boy by the name of David. When David was plucked from the field of tending his father's sheep and placed in front of a national spotlight to face off against a giant, there was an entire nation that was just waiting, almost with bated breath, for someone who would lead them to greatness. And from the moment that Goliath fell till David took his final grasp of air, we see a man who the Bible says served his generation. What did David do? David restored a nation. In fact, it is said that under the leadership of David, that the territory of Israel, what they controlled and what they conquered, expanded some 10 times more than when he first stepped to the throne. What did David do? He placed Zion on the map. David restored national pride and honor into the hearts of the ordinary people of Israel that was unrivaled by any nation in the world. How was David able to do this? How was David able to take the common run-of-the-mill Israelite and turn them into ambassadors of the Almighty? I'll tell you how. David decided, while I'm living, while I'm here, while it's my time and my watch, while I'm breathing. I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to sit there and do nothing and watch the world walk by. I am going to serve my generation. I'm preaching to a church today that knows exactly what I'm saying. It's not time to sit down. It's not time to shut up. It's not time to be quiet. It's time to rise up. It's time to recognize our world has a need and we have the answer. Amen. It's time to recognize greater is he that is in you and greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. There, there's a very interesting moment when David was, when David found himself hounded by Saul, who was attempting to put an end to the threat of David becoming the next monarch. We see a very unique event begin to unfold. Men who had found themselves distressed, men that were discontented and in debt, made their way to the cave of a giant killer who had this unique passion, this driving fire to serve his generation. Men that had been cut off from his, their families, ridiculed by their neighbors. Men that had been pushed to the side, journeyed to the cave where a man was being made into a king. And these men began to be fashioned into what the Bible calls the mighty men of David. And from that encounter, we discover these mighty men being, being formed and literally changing the course of history for the Israelites. They saved the nation from becoming as the nations around them. And time after time, after time after time, one of these once mediocre misfits uh, of society would rise up in the face of insurmountable odds uh, and secure victory for the people of God. Time does not permit me today to just discuss these mighty men of David in depth as I would like, but allow me just a few moments here to address two that I think are beneficial for our time together. One was a man by the name of Benaiah. We've all heard of Benaiah. And the Bible tells us that he comes across a lion that goes down into a pit on a snowy day. 
I came across a lion, and it looked at me and licked its lips and went into a hole. I'd shout hallelujah and speak in tongues. I'd be dancing around here like some of y'all this morning. But it goes on to say that this man decided to climb down into that pit in the middle of a snowstorm and take on a lion. The dude's brain dead. That's an idiot. It had been me. Like I said, I'd have shouted, said, thank God. I'd walk down there. I don't want to lose another arm. I like the fact that I can hold at least one microphone. Can't do sign language. You get half the message, but it's okay to laugh, folks. It's all right. I'm secure in who I am. I got a lot of jokes. We could be here all day. Hello? But he says, oh, interesting. I think I'm going to go down and I'm going to take care of this lion. In the middle of a snowstorm, he recognized something that I think it's important for you and I to grasp today. It was not the most opportune moment for him to tackle a lion. The conditions were not the best. There was no solid footing. It wasn't the most pleasant season, but he understood something. If I don't take care of this now, while it is below the surface, one day it may come up and do some damage to somebody else passing along this path. So he climbed down into a pit with a lion on a snowy day and he waged war against the potential problem for somebody else I'm going to preach a little bit right now that commitment to get down into that pit of the enemy's domain during an inopportune season that gets me I got to stop for a moment and talk about it some of us sitting here today some of you watching online we all better recognize God may be asking us to take care of some things that are under the surface things that nobody sees, uh, things that nobody knows about. It may be that lust. Uh, it may be that bitterness. Uh, it may be that attitude. Uh, it may be that envy. Uh, but you got to take care of it uh, before it comes out uh, and destroys your family uh, and destroys your children uh, and destroys your marriage. You never know what climbing down into that pit will do in the future of your family or your ministry. You never know what you are destroying that may one day rise up and take out one of our young ladies or our young men from the church. We got to deal with some things underneath the surface. Can I just preach a little bit? You got to take care of some things in your 20s uh, so they don't come out and destroy you in your 40s. Uh, you got to take care of some things in your 30s uh, so they don't unravel your marriage in your 50s. Uh, can I preach to a good church uh, on a good Sunday? Uh, amen. There are some things God says uh, you don't need to put it under uh, a cover someplace uh, you need to get down there and you need to fight uh, because you never know uh, what you're doing when you dive uh, into the domain of darkness uh, and defeat the spirit uh, that's been trying to destroy your family I command every mother and every father who in the midnight hour had to dive down into that domain and pray till hell took its hands off your children. Come on. 
I commend you, brother and sister Johns. I commend this leadership team for the midnight hours when you prayed through. Amen. So somebody in this congregation would experience victory. Amen. I'm talking to a mother. I'm talking to a father here on a Sunday. You never know what you're doing. I can tell you many times I stood at the door, especially my son, and I put my hand on the door at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. My wife did the same, and we would pray, hell, you are not taking my children. This is my field. This is my house. Amen. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Can I preach a little bit? Hallelujah. We got to believe in this thing called prayer. We got to believe in the power of speaking the name of Jesus into a situation that may seem lifeless, that may seem hopeless, but with God, all things are possible. I'm going to get down there and I'm going to take care of this on a Sunday. I'm going to make sure. Hello. It may not be the most opportune season. You may be facing hell and high water. You may have to deal with the mess and the embarrassment of dealing with those things, but hear me. God's just looking for somebody Someone that's not afraid to stand on the Lord's side and declare victory in the face of defeat. Another mighty man comes to mind that I believe needs to be examined. His name was Shama. Here's another misfit turned mighty who stations himself in the middle of a field of lentils, of beans, and defends it, and he kills the Philistines so that the Lord would bring about a great victory. A once derelict, disdained, and disowned misfit is now planting his feet firmly in the ground, willing to give his life for something that he loves so dearly. I got to stop here and try to impart what I feel like God wants to speak to us about today. We're not given a whole lot of information about this field. We really don't know who owned it or took care of it. It is assumed it belonged to Shama just because of the action that he took on this fateful day. But when the enemy was trying to take this small little patch of beans, uh, he stood his ground. We know, apparently, that this field meant something to Shama. Hear me this morning. You won't stand up for anything if it doesn't mean something to you. Hello? You will not stand up for something if it doesn't have some sort of value. I'm going to tell you right now, if my family's in my house and someone's breaking in, they're going to have to go through me. I may not look like much, but they'll be quickly introduced to Thor's hammer. I'll take them out. I am not going to let someone come in or something come in that could mess with things that are valuable. Well, it's just a little sin, Brother Sergeant. Well, it's just missing church every once in a while. Sorry, I'm a recovering pastor, okay? Please forgive me. Hello, my name is Darren Sargent, and I'm a recovering pastor. Amen. Glad to meet you. If it's valuable, you'll do whatever you can, amen, to make sure you ain't coming here, devil. You 
ain't messing with my children. You ain't messing with my family. You ain't messing with my marriage. I'll fight you till all that's left is just a wiggle of my little finger if that's what it takes because I believe if it's valuable, it's worth. that's why worship and praise and running and jumping and shouting and magnifying God is so important because it's When I look at this story that is so seemingly insignificant when it comes to the grand scale of the history of God, but yet it is so powerful in its application, I see a man that made a decision to do something even though others chose not to. What this field represented was more important than just a beans in the field. No doubt the beans were probably destroyed in the conflict that day. It wasn't the beans necessarily that Shama was so passionate about. He could replace and replant trampled beans, but it's much more difficult to replace a stolen and a captured field. Hear me, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, under the sound of my voice, you have been given a field in this life. Every parent listening to me today, amen, you have been given a field. It's a place of responsibility that has expanded with time. It is now more valuable than it was when it was just you standing there. It is now more valuable than it was when it was just you and your wife at the altar saying, I do. It has expanded from it just being the two of you. It is now more broad. It is now more valuable. It is now more important than it was in your teens and your 20s. Uh, hear me. I'm just going to bear my heart, amen, to this good church. We are living in an hour where the enemy is doing his dead level best uh, to steal ground from God's people. And I say enough is enough. Hello? No more, devil. This is my son. This is my daughter. They may not be living for God, but they're still people that God knows. Your prayer has the ability. Your worship has the Amen. To reach in and pull them out. You know, there are two major forces God uses that the enemy would love to destroy and rip from the landscape of society. And those two forces are the family and the church. God uses these two fields, the family and the church, to reveal his redemptive power in the world. Allow, allow me a moment here to establish a baseline. The enemy sees the influence and the impact the church and the family can have on society today. So what does he do? He fights it. The church and the family are at a crossroad in the hour of history that we're a part of. It appears we have arrived at a potentially defining moment in society in which the church is losing its influence and the home is losing its heart. But hear me today. These fields still matter. They still have value. No matter what they're teaching in the university, no matter what they're pumping through the media, these fields still matter. This is why we come to the house today. Amen. And this is why I'm preaching the way I am. We better understand the value of this field called the church and we better understand the value of this field called the family. Shama, what are you doing standing there wanting to lose your life for a patch of beans? I'll tell you why. It means something to me. You know why you dance? You know why you lift up holy hands? You're creating the atmosphere for something to happen in the field. 
where miracles can come out of the ground, where healing can pop up out of that tree. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, these fields still matter. I'm going to speak to every parent in this house today. It is your job. It is your God-given privilege to take care of the enemy that tries to take your field. There was men, buddies of Shama, that ran from that field because of fear, but not Shama. He stood there because it was valuable territory. I'm going to bring this home to roost this morning, but there are some things, just give me a minute, there are some fields that are worth defending. I, I grew up in the Magic Valley of Southern Idaho. Those spring days, those late summer nights, those farmers would prep and prepare the soil. The fields mattered to those farmers. They understood it takes more than just throwing seed a few days out, a few days a year in order to get a crop. They had to prepare the soil. They had to take time working the field. They had to get it ready so when the seed landed, it would find fertile field, fertile soil to grow in. It takes more than just coming to church. It takes more than just sitting on a pew, hearing a little bit of the word of God and then expect to reap a mighty harvest. You have to value the field and you have to value, amen, the soil and get it ready. Amen. I watched as you worshiped. I joined in as you began to shout. I watched some of you moms and dads with hands in the air. You're not just worshiping. It's not just exercise. You're preparing the soil so your children can get the whole Holy Ghost uh, on a Sunday. Uh, you're preparing the soil uh, so somebody can walk into this place uh, on a Sunday just like today. Uh, lift up their hands and God heal them and deliver them and touch them uh, and fill them with the Holy Ghost. Uh, this isn't just Pentecostal calisthenics, honey. This is soil preparation because God's in the business. God's in the business of doing miracle signs and wonders. God's in the business of pouring things out like we've never seen before. We got to get the soil ready. So I say keep on worshiping, Mama. Keep on praying, Daddy. Keep on believing, Son. It's going to happen. This field is valuable. I'm third-generation Pentecost. My grandfather, Sid Sargent, Sidney Cecil Sargent. That's a mouthful. And his little gem of a wife, Ruby Lillian Sargent. They were high school sweethearts in Morton, Washington. Little farming, lumbering community. Everybody knew who Sid and Ruby Sargent were. They weren't in Pentecost. They were heroes of their high school teams. My grandfather played baseball. My grandmother was a basketball star. Pentecostals were looked down in that little town of Morton, Washington. But I remember the story so well as my grandfather and grandma related it to me. My grandfather worked up in the mountains with those big saws, sawing those big redwoods, cutting down that timber. And God paired him with a one God tongue-talking apostolic. And this one God tongue-talking apostolic every day, Brother Jerry would say, Sid, boy, I sure wish you could meet my Jesus. 
My grandfather would spit at him and cuss him out. Shut up. He'd work. My grandfather would get there early, so he would always, his, his, his sawmate, if you will, would be on the sunny side. And he would tell me, he goes, it didn't matter how hot it was. Said, I really want you to come to church. My grandfather would listen to this every day. Finally, one day, said, okay. What do you mean, okay? He said, I'll go to church with you once. Said, okay. Revival service was happening, a little Pentecostal church in Morton, Washington. My grandfather stepped in once. And he left, filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues. It's real. It's real. Sister Joy, I know it's real. This Pentecostal blessing, and I know, I know. Don't you tell me, amen, the altar in a Pentecostal church is just a place where the people that are really struggling go. Honey, you can get your healing here. You can get your salvation here. You can get your, I don't care if you're a drug addict or an alcoholic. You can't be delivered in the house. Why? Because this field still matters. Sid came home, walked in the door, said, Ruby, you're not going to believe it. She goes, what? She could see something was different. She goes, he goes, I got the Holy Ghost. I don't want to hear about this Holy Ghost. Come on, Ruby, just go to church with me one time, just once. No, I ain't doing it. This went on for weeks. One day he comes home. All her bags were packed. Everything she owned in her suitcases. And I'm going bald. <laughs> I'll sell that spot right there for $1,000. You can advertise whatever you want for the building program. Sorry, I just... ADD or something. Squirrel? <laughs> I don't know. Sid says, Ruby, what are you doing? She goes, I'm done. I don't want anything to do with Pentecost. If you're not going to change and go back to what you were, take me out to my mom and dad's farm. Tears in his eyes. He packed her stuff up after pleading with her. She wouldn't hear anything about it. He pleaded with her, please, Ruby, just go one time. Uh, that's all I'm asking. Just go once. It's real. You got to feel it. I don't want anything to do with it. Those people are crazy. They wear their head in a bun on top of their head. <laughs> Point the camera. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 Driving down the road, my grandfather, Brother my grandfather's driving too. Oh, God, silently, God, get all of Ruby's heart. Please, God, she's got to experience this. It'll change her life. About halfway down the road, all of a sudden, she said, stop the car, Sid. He goes, what? He goes, stop the car and turn around. I'll go to church with you once. And guess what happened? It's real, it's real. That doesn't just happen. 
that doesn't just happen, honey. There's some preparation in the soil. There's some people that have been in some early morning prayer meetings. Uh, there's a pastor and his wife that have prayed in the midnight hour. Uh, there's a team saying, we're going to make sure we got a field uh, that is valuable for the next generation. We got to make sure it's still real uh, for the next generation. We got to make sure it's still as powerful as it was on the day you came to the Lord.